Well, hello and welcome to this week's A Photographic Life. Last week's episode was about the future. And I think this week's episode has got a sense of nostalgia about it. Regular listeners will know that this is not a podcast with either a big budget or an awful lot of uh, calculation, construction or consideration about how it all comes together. I think this week, strangely, is going to buck that trend, not with the budget, but there is a sense that I've kind of put these things together um, with some kind of planning. I think I might have done. I hope it's not to the detriment to the podcast. It might even be to its benefit. Let's see how it goes, shall we? The impulse that led you to make an image is a thing that you cannot share with anyone, even if you explain it. What remains is a surface that will live its own life that will belong to everybody. I accept that surface. This moment has been, it has been precious. I felt it as precious and I made this image. This is what we are trying to say. Two quotes there from the French photographer Jean-Luc Cieff. After many years of admiring his work, I finally, in 1998, had an opportunity to work with him when I was art directing Tatler magazine. Elle McPherson, the supermodel, had agreed to model jewellery for the magazine with no conditions or preordained concepts in place. This was the perfect shoot for Jean-Loup, and so I decided to bring him over from Paris. The first stage was relatively easy to organise. Elle was happy to do the shoot. She knew Jean-Loup's work and was excited to work with him. The second stage was more difficult in a pre-internet age. How would I get hold of him? His French book publishers didn't have a contact number. I could think of no one who had worked with him recently, and he didn't have an agent. There was only one answer. To find an art director who had worked with him in the 1960s or 70s and hope that Jean-Loup's number hadn't changed. For a series of contacts, I managed to get a number, and a few minutes later Jean-Loup was on the phone telling me that he would be delighted to do the shoot in London. But he had stipulations. The first was that I pick him up at the airport the day before the shoot and take him to the studio I had booked. The second was that he stayed at Brown's Hotel in Mayfair and that he wanted to go on a milk round in the West End so he could photograph the milkman delivering his milk through the night. He knew it meant a 4am start and a 9am finish, but he didn't mind. He then planned to go straight to the studio in Islington to shoot Elle. I booked the hotel and the milkman and waited for Jean-Luc to arrive. He was a big man with long, slightly wild, straight hair and a strong upper body that suggested he worked out due to the way it strained his tight T-shirt. He had on tight jeans and soft white ballet shoes and around his neck swung a neck on. His face was strong, his handshake firm, and all of the way from Heathrow to Islington, he regaled me with stories that had me spellbound. How he and Richard Avedon had sailed the Aegean with the model Jean Shrimpton, and how he had once found Avedon so distraught by a request to reshoot a fashion story that he had banished everyone from the studio while he curled up in a fetal position, unable to go on. Jean-Luc's studio requests had been simple to meet. 
one grey colour armour, two supporting poles and one light, and stand with a soft box and no assistant. He had little interest in the studio room itself. On the day of the shoot, I arrived at around 9am to find him already set up. The Nikon body and lens that had been around his neck the day before had been used to photograph the milkman and now would be used to photograph L. Rolls of 35mm triax had been unboxed and lined up on a trolley next to the light. He was ready to get started. There was no assistant and he would load his own film because as he stated, what would I say to someone else who loaded my camera and made a mistake? It's better that I have that responsibility. He wanted to work with L one-to-one. He didn't want big teams, stylists, complicated hair and makeup or an art director telling him what to do, although I stood in the shadows. I said hello to L and realised that I was not needed in any direct manner. Some weeks later, the prints arrived from Paris. They were beautiful, considered and perfect. Jean-Loup and I had became, become friends and the images of L saw his career stage a commercial revival with him being taken on by a leading London agent and being commissioned to shoot the first advertising campaign for the ice cream brand Hagen dazs Jean-Loup died in 2001. There is no doubt that I made a connection with Jean-Loup, and as I say, I uh, remained friends with him until his sad passing. But it makes me wonder about connections with photographers' work. Why do we connect with specific images? Is it the subject matter, the approach, a nostalgic feeling for either the image itself or the subject matter of that image? Is it important that we connect with a photographer's image? I don't mean appreciate the image or admire the image from an intellectual perspective. I mean gaining an emotional connection with that image, that body of work, or that photographer. We get an opportunity to meet them or hear from them or watch them. I think we all have heroes in different areas of our life, and I'm a great believer in the importance of heroes. For me, it's heroes that inform who we are and what we want to become. My story uh, this week about my time with Jean-Luc Cieff uh, was very much a kind of a reflection of my time as an art director during the 1990s of uh, magazines. One of the sets of photographers who I really enjoyed working with at that time were Guzman. And Guzman, or at least Connie, is the contributor to this week's What Does Photography Mean to You? But if you don't know who Guzman are, let me explain. They consist of the award-winning husband and wife image-making team Connie Hansen, a sculpture student at the Pratt Institute from 1969 to 1971, and English-born Russell Peacock, who helped define the look of the 90s together with a series of iconic album and magazine covers for everyone from Fishbone to On Vogue. The couple got their start in music photography with the cover of Debbie Harry's 1986 album Rockbird collaborating with the likes of fashion designer Stephen Sprouse and Andy Warhol. Three years later, they hit the big time when they photographed the cover of Janet Jackson's Rhythm Nation 1814. 
By the mid-90s, Guzman had achieved recognition for creating unconventional advertising campaigns based on their highly sophisticated photographic style and their affinity for the eccentric. The New York-based pair have worked across just about every category of photographic practice. With a concentration in advertising, fashion, conceptual photography, nude, sports and recreation, and celebrity portraits. Their clients include Tag Heuer, Louis Vuitton, MTV, Todd's, Puma, GQ and the Sunday Times magazine. They now live in Hudson Valley in upstate New York. Over to you, Connie. Hi, Grant. Uh, this is Guzman. Um, we're still trying to figure it out, but in any case, we'll just talk about areas that we think it might be. Uh, it might be auto autobiographical, uh, image forming uh, personal identity. Um, it's not creating magic uh, for us. Uh, it's a visual story in some cases, finding a story in the ordinary and making it extraordinary and sometimes taking the extraordinary and making it normal. Uh, it's a way of interacting with the world and in so doing, finding a deeper meaning within our own lives. Uh, we know that we wait for or catch, capture, hunt for an image. Uh, success is when all the challenges kind of meld with other life forces. Nowadays, everyone has a camera. They are usually photographing their daily lives. We like going out of our comfort zone, alien, unknown, not necessarily a place or a situation, could be happening in one's own home. Always aware of the light and how it falls on the subject because it changes its meaning. Interaction and then reaction. We treat everything from still life, portrait, landscape as a living creature. We seem to be drawn to off-kilter situations, distinctive lighting, even in quiet moments. We love uh, humor. Um, photos that we deem successful in our world are always open to interpretation. We don't like to have an exact meaning. After 45 years, we are still searching for that meaning. Thanks. Thank you, Connie, for your contribution this week. I think for me, what's so important in photography is that we don't see it in a judgmental manner. The work that the Guzman do is very much connected with what many would perceive to be a contemporary art practice. And yet it's working within a commissioned environment. Too often I hear that commissioned photography is commercial photography and therefore it is of a lesser quality or lesser reasoning or lesser intent than work that's been paid for. I've always believed that it is possible to maintain who you are and who you are through your work and still work within a commissioned environment. And I think if you listen to what Connie had to say there about that constant questing and that constant questioning for what photography means, even after a very long and successful career, 
It could just as easily have been somebody working in contemporary art practice for 45 years rather than somebody working for major international brands. So fantastically refreshing, I always feel, not only to hear that, but to understand that as a reality within commissioned photography. Anyway, that's a little bit of a soapbox of mine. So wonderful to hear Connie's voice uh, voicing what I feel also. There's a question that I wanted to um, put to you this week, and it's a question that I'd like you to ponder over. It certainly isn't a question I think that any of us have an answer for, although I'm sure many of us will have an opinion. The question is this. Will COVID-related work become an, his- become an historical artefact, filling up dusty drawers and hard drives? Or will it be exhibited and exalted in a future which is going to be keen to move on from the trials and tribulations, the death and the sadness of the last year or so? As I say, it's a question, but I don't think it's a question that any of us can necessarily answer. But I think we could probably have a bit of a go at it. And the reason why it came to my mind this week is that I'm starting to see a lot of bodies of work, I suppose, coming to fruition, either as exhibitions, potential exhibitions, or as photo books. Certainly within the UK, with lockdown looking as if it's going to actually end at the dates in which we were promised, thanks to the multiple vaccinations, a lot of projects seem to be coming to an end because lockdown's coming to an end. So all of those lockdown projects will no longer be able to continue. But are they of any relevance, or were they something that we all just did to get us through those days of isolation? As I say, I don't know, but I have an opinion. And I suppose really one of the benefits of being old and having been involved in photography as I have for over 35 years now is the truth that good work always sustains whilst the other work tends to disappear. I hope that you enjoy the variety of different photographers that um, join us every week to answer that simple question of what does photography mean to you? I know a lot of them will be known to you and a lot of them will be new to you. I'm sure that Guzman are going to be new to a lot of you listening to this podcast and I really do encourage you to go out and look at their work. They're quite hard to find but it's well worth doing. I've put a link on the United Nations of Photography website so that you can uh, check out their website. But uh, some Google searches might take you into some interesting places by just putting the word Guzman. Anyway, I suppose this is a lead up to just a reminder that the book is still on sale of 89 previous contributors to the podcast uh, answering that question, what does photography mean? mean to you. The perfect read, I would suggest, on any staycation. Uh, It's available now from bluecoatpress.co.uk, just at £9.99 plus post and packing. Uh, I suppose in an ordinary year, 
I would suggest a perfect holiday or read for the plane. And this year, I suggest it's just something you'll want to keep nearby. If you're a long-term listener to this podcast, you'll be aware that back in the, the dark days of the beginning of the podcast, I used to speak a lot about Bill J, primarily because of the film that um, we produced around his life, his photographic life. Do not bend the photographic life of Bill J. Bill J, the writer, the teacher, the magazine uh, editor, the... Um, preacher for photography in the UK in the late 60s and in the um, in America through the 70s, 80s and 90s. Well, anyway, um, as you may also be aware, we quite often post up articles written by Jay over the years um, on the United Nations of Photography.com website. And over the last couple of weeks, we've posted a few which um, I thought you might be interested in knowing about. Uh, Two very personal reflections on meetings um, that Bill had with Ansel Adams and one also with Diane Arbus, uh, both definitely worth reading, particularly the Arbus, I would suggest. Um, one on how to select a grade school for an MFA. So basically great advice, although it's uh, quite old now. It's, I think it was written in 1992, still as relevant today as it was then as to how to find a university um, where you would do a postgraduate of some kind in photography, things to look out for. And also a long read, a very long read and an incredibly well researched article on the life and times of Julia Margaret Cameron. So a real mix of stuff there for you to uh, dip into. Uh, as we come to the end of this podcast, as I said, it's all about nostalgia and it's all about, oh, it's been all about looking back, I suppose. I've enjoyed that moment. I hope you have too. And uh, in the coming week, of course, as we go forward, please make sure that you always take care. Thank you.